This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. We welcome you this morning to our Sunday morning worship service from Ocean Lakes Family Campground in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Our subject of the sermon today is Exit and Entrance. Today we will be concluding a series of messages on the general subject of personal growth. Today's focus is on that very important time in our lives when we have reached senior adulthood. So often the emphasis is on children, youth, or young adults. But what about our elder, our older generation? The Bible has much to teach us about this stage in our lives. This morning we'll be looking again at our biblical example, King David, as he came to the close of his life. If you have your Bible and can turn to it, this is found in the Old Testament account in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 26 through 28, which talks about the end of David's life. Even in our senior adult years, We all have room for growth, and we pray that God will speak to our hearts in this message this morning as we continue to grow in Him. This morning we come to the end of a journey which began for us several Sundays ago as we have been looking together at the various stages through which we must go during our lives. My purpose has been to try to provide some kind of roadmap or guide which may help us all to get through some of the predictable crises which are faced by so many people during this journey of life. We have asked, what is it like to be a child, an adolescent, an adult? We're all different in many ways, and yet we're similar in many other ways. Our basic assumption during these weeks has been that it is better to face life head on with eyes open, rather than to assume erroneously that what you don't know won't hurt you. No, what we don't know does hurt us. Ignorance is not an asset. It is a liability. Several years ago, I told you who here at Ocean Lakes the story about a famous bank robber, Jorge Rodriguez who was operating back and forth across the border between the United States and Mexico way back around the turn of the former century. He was so successful in stealing money that the Texas Rangers finally assigned a whole posse to watch the border and to put a stop to it. One morning, a ranger spotted Jorge stealthily slipping into the United States. He followed the bandit as he robbed yet another bank and fled back to Mexico. He trailed him into the saloon where he went to relax, and the ranger then sneaked in, got the drop on him, and put a gun to the bank robber's head. The ranger said, I know who you are, Jorge Rodriguez, and unless you give me back all the money you have stolen from the Texas banks, I'm going to blow your brains out right now. Well, unfortunately, Jorge did not speak English, (laughs) and the Texas Ranger did not speak Spanish. And there were the two of them, uh, really an impasse, a uh, Mexican standoff, so to speak. 
But about that time, a little Mexican came up and he said, I can speak both languages. I'll translate for you. And then he proceeded to put the Texas Rangers proposal into words that Jorge Rodriguez could understand. Jorge listened very attentively since the gun was still at his head. And as soon as the little Mexican man finished rattling off something in Spanish, Jorge immediately answered, Please tell the big Texas Ranger I have not spent any of the money. If he will go to the town well, face north, and count down five stones, he will find a loose stone there. Behind it is all the money I have taken. I have not spent a cent. Please hurry and tell him I want to live. And with those words which were in Spanish and not understood by the waiting Texas Ranger, the little Mexican got a half smile on his face as he turned to the Ranger and he said, Jorge Rodriguez is a brave man. He says he is ready to die. <laughs> now the point of this little story is that what we don't know can hurt us. Had Jorge Rodriguez only known English or had the Texas Ranger known Spanish? So we come this morning then to look at this last stage of life which we call senior adulthood. I have previously stated many times I want to acknowledge my appreciation to Dr. John Claypoo for so much insight into all these messages. The afternoon and the evening of life are lived radically different from the morning of life. But where are the universities that prepare us for life after we reach 35 or 40 or 50? Think of the research that has been put into early childhood development. Think of all the study that has been done to help us cope with those trying years of adolescence. Think of the effort which is put into helping our youth with vocational guidance, trying to assist them in making the transition into young adulthood. We have done so much, and properly so, in talking about what it means to find identity, to develop values, to select a vocation, to choose the right mate. All that's fine. But where have we as a society tried to help people understand what they do with the rest of their lives after the formative years are past? Almost all of our educational investments are made for those in the morning years of life. There are some exceptions, yes, but the afternoon and the evening years of life are just as challenging. They have just as many pitfalls as the earlier years. It is just as easy to lose the game of life in the third and fourth quarter as in the first and the second quarter. Some may be asking the question, well, why take all this time and effort to devote a message to this stage of life, senior adulthood? Isn't it too late then? You know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, they say. But the truth is that life is much more than a bag of new tricks to be learned. And I would resent being called an old dog, I think, since I'm already in the later years of my life. I firmly believe that change and growth are quite possible at every stage of life, although it may come harder at this stage than in more formative years. We will all probably agree that what we become in our later years of life is a culmination of the decisions and habits which we've developed in childhood 
adolescents, and young adulthood. This was certainly the case with David, our biblical figure we've been looking at as our model during all this series of messages on Sundays. It's interesting to note that the Bible gives us two vastly different accounts of the last years of David's life. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 26 through 28, we have a beautiful picture of David's last years. And let me quote some of those verses. And he died in a good old age, full of days, riches, and honor. That's 1 Chronicles. But in 1 Kings, we have a different picture. In this book, in 1 Kings chapter 1, we see that the transition of kingly authority from David to Solomon was by no means simple and easy. Let me tell you the story. It's a fascinating one. Absalom had been David's favorite son, the apple of his eye. He was the logical heir to the throne. But Absalom could not wait to get his hands on the throne, the crown on his head. And trying to take by force what would have eventually been his anyway by right and by inheritance, a battle ensued. And in this battle, Absalom was killed. The next person in line was Adonijah. And rather than learning a lesson from Absalom, Adonijah also saw that old King David was weak and about to die, and so he set up himself as king in the northern section of Israel and tried to take the crown from his father's head. He was joined in this effort by Joab, the head of the military, and by Abiathar, the high priest and the head of the temple. And no sooner did all this happen than the prophet Nathan stepped on the scene once again. You remember he was the same prophet who had earlier stood up before David concerning his treatment of Uriah the Hittite and his wife Bathsheba. Nathan now told King David of what was happening in efforts to take his throne away. He reminded David of a promise he had made to Bathsheba in light of all the pain he had brought into her life. The child conceived of their initial affair had died. But later on, when Bathsheba had become David's wife, she had borne him another son named Solomon. And this was the one whom Nathan thought should succeed David. And so with the same kind of wisdom which David had used earlier in his life, he chose Solomon who then promptly eliminated the other aspirants to the throne. It was Solomon, you remember, who was the builder of the temple, not David. What I'm trying to say is that we do not wait until we're 60 or 65 or 70 to start getting ready for senior adulthood. This is the grand climax to a lifetime of numbering our days so that at last we gain a heart of wisdom. What then are the challenges of the evening of life, this final stage that we call senior adulthood? This morning I want to mention only three and at the same time acknowledge that there are surely many other challenges. These challenges I'm going to mention are in terms of attitudes, coming to a positive and hopeful attitude about three realities. One, about your personhood. Two, about your past and three, about your future. 
And I would like to lay alongside these three words, three additional parallel words, which can help us to come to that positive attitude. One, grace. Two, providence. And three, hope. Now let's look at these three areas of life in a bit of detail. First, personhood. And to the right of that, the word grace. The answer to the question of personal worth lies in a sense of God's grace to us. Let me ask you a very personal, probing question. What is the single most important thing about you? What are you depending on most when you die and have to stand before the supreme architect of the universe? Is it your family name, your accomplishments, your possessions, or what? That can be a very disturbing question if we take it at all seriously. For most of us probably would have to admit that we and ourselves don't have very much that's commendable. In the final analysis, our hope is not in what we might have made of ourselves. It is in what God has done for us. <clears throat> Senior adulthood or the evening of life has been described as that stage when if you have lived long enough, you begin to lose your strength physically when the circle of your people you know begins to narrow down because many of your contemporaries have passed on, when you have to turn more and more of your care over to other people, and when the focus of your life shifts, as Paul Turnier says, from doing and having to being. Quite often a senior adult does not have either the strength or the opportunity to do as he once did. And the possession of things becomes much less important in this time of life. After all, when one is bedridden, almost blind, what difference does it make if there's a Rolls Royce in the driveway or a hundred suits or outfits in the closet? Life at this stage concentrates more on being. How satisfying it is to know that at this stage of life, one has the inner sense of assurance that one's worth is really based on God's grace. When we come to the place where we are nothing except a withered body, and there's nothing we can do anymore that pleases ourselves or anybody else, it makes no real difference what we own or possess. But when we can look at ourselves and know I am something, because when God created me, God jumped up and down for joy and he said, it's good, it's good, it's very, very good. Then we can know that it is the grace of God that holds us up. There's a song that we sing sometimes, I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Naught have I gotten but what I received. Grace, grace hath bestowed it since I have believed. Boasting excluded, pride I abase. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. That's right. The Bible teaches by grace are we saved, not by works. This is the best preparation for the evening of life that we can have. How happy is the person who does not wait until he or she is in senior adulthood to learn this beautiful truth. Let's look at a second word, the past. And on to the right of that, put the word Providence. What does the gospel of Christ have to say about our past? 
it speaks of the providence of God, which says that life is not just blind chance, but it's governed by a loving Father, a heavenly Father, who is at work in all things for the good. Toward the end of his life, Dog Hammarskjöld came to the place where he could write in his private journal, for all that has been, thanks. For all that will be, yes. That's his quotation. You know, it wouldn't be hard for us to look back over our past and say, well, for some of what has happened, thanks. We all have our good moments. It would not be hard to look back over our sunny days and say, for those bright, wonderful days, we thank you, God. But I think it calls for a deep sense of faith in God's providence to be able to look back and say, for all that has been, thanks, thanks, many, many thanks. Now, how can we ever come to that? I think we can say this when we remember that God, who has given us the gift of life, has not promised to deliver us from hardship, but he has said that whatever comes, I will not abandon you. What happens to you may hurt you tremendously. You may grieve. You may have things happen to you that will cause you to walk the rest of your life with a limp. But still, God says, whatever happened cannot break the bond of love that I have for you. And I can always bring good things out of bad things. Let me share with you at this point the words of John Claypool. He says, God is not just out ahead of us, though that is certainly true, drawing us into the future. God is not just above us, though that is true. He is transcendent in his wisdom and power. God is not just beneath us, though that is true also. He is the ground of our being. He is not just within us, though that is true. He is our companion. But in addition to all these things, God is also around us. Helmut Tillich describes it this way. God is surrounding your existence, which means that nothing can touch your life unless it passes under his fatherly eye, passes through his hand. And you can count on the fact that if it passes through the Lord first, though it may hurt you, it cannot destroy you. God would not let it pass through him unless he realizes that there is some way he can bring good out of this experience. And so in this spirit, we can say with Hammershaw, for all that has been, thanks. You remember Joseph said this to his brothers when they came down to Egypt, as he remembered the treachery they had dealt with him many years before. They, as far as he, they were concerned, he was dead. And Joseph said to them, now, you meant it for evil, but God used it for good. And this is what I mean by God's providence. When we can look back over the past and admit, surely goodness and mercy have followed me all the days of my life. That's what we sang about this morning. And finally, the third word, future. And alongside that, put the word hope. There's one other gospel truth that we can claim in senior adulthood, or at any time in our lives for that matter. This is the power of hope, the ability to look toward the future, even toward death, with a positive expectancy. 
hope in the Bible is not just saying, I hope, I hope, I hope beyond all reason. No, our hope in Christ is a steadfast hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and righteousness. A man by the name of Rule Howe was called one day by the wife of one of his closest friends. She said to him, Rule, I think you better come see Bill. His battle with cancer is just about over. Rule Howe loved this man deeply and it pained him to go and see what his friend was going through. But as he sat down beside the bed to talk with him, he was amazed that Bill said to him, Rule, I know what's happening with me. I know I'm about to die. I know why Martha called you to come to see me. And then he said, Rule, I want to tell you something. All my life I've wondered what it was going to be like to die. I've wondered what it would feel like. Oh, when I was young, I didn't think much about it, but as I've gotten older now, I could not evade it. And now that I've been an invalid for some time, I've had to live with this before me for a long time. And then he said, you know, Rule, I've made an incredible discovery. Death is simply an old acquaintance in a new garb. You know, all my life I've had to give up things I had in order to get something I did not have. Oh, I still remember that morning when I started the first grade. Oh, I so hated to leave the little world of Sandpile and Mother, who was always around to give me cookies. I hated to leave that little world at home. But lo and behold, when I got to school, it opened up for me a whole new world of being, things to learn, things to know, people to relate to. It was an incredible transition from a little world to a big world. It was the same way when I left home for college, the same way when I took my first job, the same way every time I've had to let go of what I had in order to get something I did not have. He said, you know, I've learned something in all this rule. Every exit is also an entrance. Every time you leave something, lo and behold, you find you're being given something else. Every time you walk out of something, you walk into something and you find yourself being blessed with a bigger experience. And that's what I have come to feel about death. It's simply an old acquaintance and a new garb. Just as originally I had to give up that little world of my mother's womb, I had to die to that in order to be born into this world. And so in a few days, I know I'm going to make that great relinquishment. I'm going to die to this little world, which means entrance into the great world beyond. <clears throat> A few days later, the phone rang. It was Martha saying, would you please come and asking if Rule would conduct the funeral service for his friend. He did so. And the service was in a large church with a center aisle. And as the service was over, he came down out of the pulpit and started leading the casket out of the church up that long aisle. When he was about halfway toward the door, he looked up and he saw over the door four letters emblazoned in bright red, E-X-I-T. And then it hit him. Every exit 
is also an entrance. That is saying that death is simply the other side of birth. We give up one thing before we can take up another. I've often said to our youth, you can't steal second base as long as you keep your foot on first base. Yes, death is an exit, to be sure, but it is also an entrance. Isn't this what Jesus was talking about when he said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Sam Keene was right when he said, a wise person is one who knows what time it is in his or her life. Whatever time it is for you, morning, afternoon, or evening, God's good news comes to all of us through Jesus Christ to offer us the resources we need to make it through. The gospel enables us to say three things. By the grace of God, I am what I am. For all that has been, thanks. And for all that will be, yes. I think David was able to say this. He achieved this goal, and he died in a good old age, full of days, riches, and honor. And the truth of the matter is that you can say this too. But the time to begin preparation for that kind of ending is right now, whatever, whatever stage of life you're in. It involves turning your life over to the one who loves you even more than you love yourself. Don't you think it's time for all of us to learn about grace, about providence, and about hope? This can give us all a positive feeling about our personhood, our past, and our future. Right here is a secret, not only of good living, but also of good dying as well. Pray with me. O oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, be thou our guard while life shall last, and our eternal home. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.